OEMs are going to have to leverage Industry 4.0 analytics and new sources of internal productivity to drive their cost structure down in order to fund these new technologies and maintain their margins. Hello and welcome to another edition of the AEM Thinking Forward podcast, advancing the equipment manufacturing industry. I'm Dusty Weiss, AEM's professional nerd, resident technophile, and podcast host, and we're very excited in this episode to reveal some of the industry-shaping insights from our research with worldwide consulting firm McKinsey & Company. I'm not exactly breaking news when I tell you that it's imperative for equipment manufacturers to adopt new technologies to meet their customers' needs. But across the industry, there's still some uncertainty about where to find value in the changing marketplace and how your customers expect your products to evolve. So last year at AEM, we teamed up with McKinsey to answer those questions and equip our members to succeed in this changing marketplace. Combining McKinsey's experience and picking insights out of data, the expertise of AEM's members, and AEM's deep network of equipment customers, we surveyed the people who use heavy equipment in agriculture and construction. Now, McKinsey has analyzed the findings, and senior partners Kevin Lakowski and Asatash Padi are joining us in just a minute to share what they found. This is the kind of valuable insight that we're committed to showcasing here on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Each month, we'll explore a new subject area to help keep your business on the cutting edge of the equipment manufacturing industry. So make sure you subscribe to our feed so you're updated every time we put out a new edition, and maybe suggest that idea to some of your colleagues as well. We also share a lot of interesting stories about how big players in the industry are implementing pioneering technology solutions on our Association of Equipment Manufacturers LinkedIn page. So you can follow us there as well. And our twice-weekly e-newsletter, The Industry Advisor, is a great way to stay in the loop as well. Some of our recent advisor headlines. The U.S. Department of Commerce has published the procedures to request exclusion from the steel tariffs. Richard Tobin, the CEO of CNH Industrial, is stepping down for a job with Dover Corporation. And the acquisition of McAllister Equipment of Illinois by Ulta Equipment, also in the news. Check out AEM.org slash news for more on these and other stories, or to subscribe. But back to the topic at hand, whether it's predictive maintenance, GPS guidance, or any combination of a dozen other technologies that are making equipment smarter, disruption is inevitable in the equipment manufacturing sector. But the first step in continuing to meet your customers' needs and expectations is understanding what those needs and expectations are. So we reached out to 1,409 contractors and farmers across North America and put them in touch with the business analysis experts at the consulting firm McKinsey & Company. Joining us now to share the insights they uncovered are two of McKinsey's senior partners out of their Chicago offices, Kevin Lakowski and Asatosh Padi. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us here on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. We're delighted to be here. So this survey was launched to find areas where advancing technology can create the greatest value for equipment manufacturers and their customers. We looked at two distinct groups of customers, end users in the construction sector and end users in the agriculture business. What types of new and emerging technology are these folks excited about, and how can manufacturers capture value from that enthusiasm? Over the course of the research, we looked at several use cases, including predictive maintenance, remote monitoring, usage-based contracts, digital aftermarket sales, 
uh, connectivity to project and farm management software, et cetera, et cetera. There were three or four uh, striking findings. First, the respondents found that many of these use cases were attractive, indicating that there is indeed appetite to adopt these new technologies and demand that the OEMs must meet. The second thing we found not surprisingly was that of the many use cases we tested for, what contractors found helpful and important was slightly different than what farmers were looking for. But the contractors really highlighted was um, online marketplace uh, for parts, uh, predictive maintenance and remote monitoring and operator guidance systems were the applications that they highlighted. For farmers, uh, what we found was GPS auto steering and the variable application of the inputs were seen as being uh, really attractive. Finally, what we found was that for completely autonomous equipment as well as fully electric vehicles, they're still considered generally attractive for both farmers and contractors, but they're expected to hit a penetration which is going to be less than a third of the overall fleet in the next 10 years or so. The exciting thing about all of this is that uh, across these use cases, we estimated that the value creation uh, potential uh, for the industry could be about uh, an order of magnitude of the total profit pool that the equipment ma manufacturers are currently making. No, we expected it to be in the neighborhood of four to six times the total profit pools. That's certainly a significant finding. A note about the methodology here, by the way. Where did this project come from? What drew you to the topic of heavy equipment manufacturing? And what role did the Association of Equipment Manufacturers wind up playing in helping you collect this data? I think there's broad recognition that the pace of change is accelerating. Uh, and this is driven by three primary factors. Data is being created at an unprecedented rate. So 90% of the data that exists today did not exist two years ago. Computing power is advancing rapidly. So if you think about the modern washing machine, it has more computing power than NASA leveraged for the Apollo 2 mission. And we have the ability to connect like never before. So 45% of the world is connected today, and it's 3.3 billion people. And these factors are driving a pace of change that we've never seen before. We also recognize that the construction and agriculture sectors are trailing other sectors in terms of productivity improvements and digitization. And that was really the basis for launching into this effort is to figure out how the construction and agriculture sector and OEMs in particular could get ahead of all of these trends that are really reshaping uh, the landscape. We started a collaboration with AEM uh, in 2017 uh, on this topic. And um, it's been a terrific partnership uh, over the last year with AEM. A couple of things that we found attractive about the partnership was that AEM's uh, membership and board members were all senior leaders in the industry and had different viewpoints on kind of what was going on from their vantage points. And so we spent a lot of time with the board members and members of AEM uh, conducting interviews. We set up an expert panel with AEM members to pressure test some of our findings and, uh, and refine the thinking. And then lastly, AEM has a wealth of contacts with end users in the construction and agriculture segments. And we really wanted a customer perspective in this research. And so that, uh, that database that, and relationships that AEM has, we leverage significantly to get the voice of customer into this, uh, into this research effort. And so it's been, a, it's been a terrific partnership over the last year. 
So having tapped into that sort of end-user experience with this equipment then, let's just dive right into some of the findings. According to your data, fleet managers in construction operations and agriculture wind up using a different set of standards when they consider adopting new technologies. It's not surprising necessarily. But what factors are most important to these two groups as they consider the new suite of technological options that manufacturers have to offer? So contractors in construction have a very different set of outcomes that they're trying to drive towards uh, versus farmers in the agriculture sectors. In the construction sector, contractors are primarily trying to lower their maintenance expenses, reducing parts and labor, and finishing jobs faster due to higher equipment uptime. And those are the two primary factors that contractors are really trying to optimize against and the outcomes that they're trying to deliver. For farmers, it's much more around heightened job effectiveness. And so things like the correct seed depth are really important to driving higher levels of output uh, and productivity. So there's a different set of outcomes that these two different uh, groups are trying to solve for. There are some commonalities across the groups. So in both cases, uh, lower maintenance costs are important. But in terms of the, the primary objective function of what they're trying to solve for, it's actually pretty different. So machine data is increasingly an area of focus and even value for OEMs and their customers. Computers are integrated with equipment in the field, and they collect all sorts of data and beam it back to a central processing hub. And that can create all sorts of value for users and manufacturers alike. But the survey that you guys conducted found that users are paying more attention to this than ever, and they've got some concerns. What are those exactly, and how should manufacturers address them? Not surprisingly, we found that over uh, 95% of the contractors and farmers came back and said that it's very important for them to have access to the equipment data, and that's completely understandable. They still perform several maintenance and repair tasks on-site with their own employees, and they'd actually place great importance on having access to the data generated by the equipment. There were two big concerns that they highlighted. Uh, the, f- the first issue was around privacy, and about uh, 75% of the contractors and farmers had concerns around being personally identified in a way that might adversely affect the relationships, compromise, uh, insights around the business, etc. The second thing is, they also wanted to know why is it that the OEMs would really be able want to collect their equipment data. Uh, as we take a step back and look across industries, we see uh, similar trends, for example, play out in the automotive industry. And our primary recommendation for OEMs is to ensure that customers clearly see the value in them sharing the data. So, for example, if they share the data and that leads to predictive maintenance and higher uptime for the customer, then customers are going to be willing to share the data. If, on the other hand, they don't perceive that value, it's going to be very tough to convince them to share that information. So it seems then like there's just a real value for OEMs in making crystal clear and drawing that line between why they're collecting the data and what the benefits are, not just for the manufacturer themselves, but also for the consumer. Correct. So in talking to our AEM members about these disruptive topics, one concern that you'll sometimes hear is the worry that some outside innovator, a Google or an Amazon, is just going to swoop in and insert itself into the heavy equipment sector. Just how concerned should OEMs be about this, according to your findings? 
OEMs should be concerned but not panicked about these findings. We found a couple of things that were really interesting. Uh, Not surprisingly, we found that OEMs are still at the top of the list and were ranked as the most trusted partner. And the incumbent OEMs were seen as having an advantage in certain use cases. So use cases such as full automation of equipment, uh, creating fully electric equipment, uh, predictive maintenance and remote monitoring, things which were really seen as enabling of existing products and services. The current OEMs were seen by far as having the greater ability to provide uh, those technologies and services. However, in certain other cases, customers viewed a few of the high-tech players as having marginally higher advantages. So these were typically in areas which were more related to software, like connectivity to farm management software, use of artificial intelligence and machine learning around variable application of inputs around GPS, uh, automotive uh, steering, etc. But our, our conclusion coming out of this was OEMs still have the ability to be the natural providers of these new technologies, uh, provided they are able to innovate the core service offering and more importantly, be able to move fast on the software services and IoT and the Internet of Things. Well, that ought to come as a relief to some of our listeners and uh, members of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We're talking with Kevin Lukowski and Asatash Padi of the consulting firm McKinsey & Company. And one of the more disruptive findings in your research has to do with a business model that's been around for generations in the heavy equipment sector. Much as retailers have had to contend with the rise of online shopping, so too must equipment dealers increasingly compete with online channels for aftermarket parts. How disruptive is this trend going to get, and what does it mean for manufacturers' business models? Well, online channels for aftermarket parts are becoming more prominent. Uh, Already, 84% of contractors that we surveyed said that they visit three or more websites to compare prices. In addition to that, uh, contractors expect their share of purchases from dealers in the next five years to drop to 54% on average versus where they are today, which is closer to 80%. So that's a significant, significant change in how end users perceive going to the physical dealer to get parts versus uh, shopping online. There is impact associated with that uh, to OEMs, uh, obviously, around pricing transparency, around their ability to innovate and develop uh, online channels uh, with their dealer partners. Uh, The good news is, if you look at what customers are also saying, uh, they're also talking about uh, new services that OEMs could provide that would be value-creating, that would potentially offset any implications from you know, online channels where aftermarket parts are being procured. And so uh, these new services that come along with the innovation around electric and autonomous equipment are new, and OEMs are in a great position with their dealer partners to uh, provide those value-added services to their customers and offset any headwinds that Uh, may arise due to the uh, online channels becoming more prevalent. As we see more of this digitization in heavy equipment, fleet managers are going to want to make sure that all the equipment on the job site is connecting properly and working together in harmony, so to speak. How will that guide customers' purchasing decisions, according to the research? Well, this uh, is actually uh, pretty interesting because what contractors are saying is, and farmers are saying, is that as connectivity becomes a more critical piece of driving productivity improvements. And as machines are talking to each other and 
uh, data is going from here to there. Contractors are viewing uh, the need to have fewer brands in their fleet. And, and what's driving that is a concern about if machines are talking to each other and data is all being uh, go- going from the machine to a, uh, a central repository, or there's a concern that if you have different brands in your fleet, that connectivity will be broken or become more complicated. So that has implications, obviously, for smaller OEMs. It may mean uh, having to figure out a way to uh, partner uh, and to make sure that the connectivity between their machines and other brands works. You know, for larger OEMs, that could mean augmenting their portfolio of products with additional products to close, you know, any gaps in a full fleet solution for a construction site. And this, of course, is a very poignant topic right now, in fact, as uh, different influences within the industry wrangle with the question of whether or not to seek a universal set of data standards and interoperability and uh, the value that they find in having their own proprietary software as well. This is something that uh, members of the industry are uh, trying to come up with solutions to even right now. Um, Your report concludes with a list of five recommendations for how manufacturers can best position themselves to capture value from the digital transformation in heavy equipment. And if we can, I'd like to walk through these and, and flesh them out a little bit. The first recommendation is to address critical control points in the ecosystem. How do you mean by that exactly? So we've looked at uh, industries that have gone through disruption and seen what have been the implications, which players, every time an industry goes through disruption, you have winners and you have losers. And the question is, what really has driven that? One of the fundamental things we've realized is understanding what is the killer app. Um, The killer app is really the primary functionality that customers value. If you look at, for example, at the mobile phone industry about 10 years ago, the killer app shifted from voice to data. And as a result of the killer app shifting, the control point, which is which means what is it that delivers the most value to the customers, shifted from hardware to the customer experience. And if you look at what happened from the standpoint of the profit pools in the industry, a player like Nokia had, uh, and, and some of the more traditional players, used to have owned about 75% of the profit pools. And today, um, it's a new set of players like the Apple and the Samsung and the others who control over 95% of the profit pools. So I think what is now going to be really important for each of the OEMs, who, as we said earlier, are naturally well-positioned to win, is to think through the critical control points for the OEMs to be able to own. And to us, there are a few critical aspects that they need to look at uh, from the standpoint of hardware, understanding what are the sensors and the sensor technology. Uh, from the standpoint of the what we call as an enablement platform, specifically things around equipment management. And then core to it is going to be the visualization, the analytics, and the machine learning that is really associated with it all integrated and uh, delivered in a way that really helps the end customer be able to create higher value by using the OEM's products and services. The research also probed into the decision-making process that customers go through when they're buying new equipment. What insights do you have for manufacturers there? I think there's probably two insights here. One is that we talked earlier about the concern that farmers and contractors uh, told us about data collection and usage. But that really changes, as Asatosh pointed out, if OEMs can demonstrate the value that that data usage is going to drive for that end user. And uh, as we talked about earlier, 
in the automotive industry, 70% of customers in the U.S. are willing to pay and share data when the right use cases are put forward with the right value proposition. And so the ability for OEMs to actually demonstrate value to the customer from these new technologies and use cases is absolutely critical. Uh, The second thing uh, I would point to is influencing customer decisions to adopt new technologies requires a degree of, of, of personal testing and observation that in the past probably wasn't, was required, but probably not as strong. And so uh, given the kind of radical change in technologies uh, and use cases that are going to be available, customers are going to want to uh, observe these technologies in action. They're probably going to have a higher bar for assessing these, getting advice from colleagues, and OEMs are going to have to play a role in getting the customers and potential customers information and connected to other users in a way that they probably hadn't had to in the past. And of course, as an organization that's in the business of putting on trade shows, getting customers firsthand experience with new tools and technologies is an area where AEM has seen the wisdom of that notion play out firsthand. So with more equipment reliant upon software, you recommend treating software research and development different from hardware R&D. How and why? So Dustin, I think, you know, as we've gone through the conversation, as Kevin also pointed out, the, the importance of software is going to grow up dramatically. What we estimate is that the software content uh, in an average vehicle will go up by a factor of about 3x over the next 15 years. The challenge for most OEMs is that hardware and software development follow uh, traditionally very different processes. Uh, for most OEMs, uh, hardware development has re- has been a very linear stage gate-based process where a significant amount of testing and validation happens at each stage of the process. Uh, if you look at what world-class software development is, uh, that actually follows a very different approach called Agile. The focus is on multiple iterations, is on developing a minimum viable product and rapidly testing that product with customers to get quick feedback and then continuously improving upon that. So uh, our view is that as we look at the future, there is going to be a requirement uh, to think about what we would describe as a two-speed R&D approach. A two-speed R&D approach is one that combines the strength of the traditional stage gate-based approach uh, to hardware development that will still continue to remain relevant, but combining aspects of it with the agility that is going to be required around software development. One of your uh, partners from McKinsey, Richard Kelly, I believe it was, actually uh, used the example of Tesla when he was talking uh, crowd from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers through this concept last fall at one of our Thinking Forward events. Uh, and he mentioned how Tesla takes the approach of we're just going to build the hardware and get the hardware right, and we're going to get the software close enough to write, but then we'll be able to push out updates to the software and even add functionality further on down the line just by downloading that software patch that brings the software up to date on a piece of equipment that's already out in the field. That's sort of what you're uh, talking about, yeah? That's kind of the direction. As we look at the future, I think what we're going to quickly realize is the hardware release and software release will be on a very different cadence. OEMs may refresh uh, hardware products, the hardware aspects of it, whether it's the design, uh, the cabs, the engines, uh, and other parts of the technology at a certain frequency. But as far as the software is concerned, as all of us know, even from our personal experience in dealing with iPhones, etc., 
the number of updates that are required to stay current, uh, just to even to protect from uh, concerns with respect to cybersecurity, etc. I think the number of releases that are going to be required are going to be typically multiple releases over the course of a year. Okay. So as we've seen in the auto industry, while there might be a lot of interest in these new technologies and heavy equipment, customers might not be so keen to pay extra for these features. How should manufacturers then structure their pricing to pay for these features? I think there's a few elements to this. I think one is there are different technologies that are going to be table stakes versus differentiators. A table stake is a technology that is required to compete in the industry and stay competitive. These technologies, it will be hard to price uh, to customers because they're just required to stay competitive in the marketplace. And you can expect a broad range of OEMs to develop these table stakes technologies. And to pay for those and to maintain margins, OEMs are going to have to leverage industry 4.0 analytics and new sources of internal productivity to drive their cost structure down in order to fund these new technologies and maintain their margins. There's a second set of technologies and use cases uh, that we would call differentiators that certain OEMs are either first to market or uniquely positioned to own or have. And those, those technologies, uh, there's an opportunity when they're introduced into the marketplace to price because there's a real value to customers that they can't get from other OEMs. And differentiators allow a OEM to increase their price in some cases uh, to offset the costs and potentially expand margins. Finally, it's going to take a younger tech-savvy workforce to build equipment going forward. What do manufacturers need to do to attract software developers and younger workers to help make that happen? I think it's by 2024, millennials will make a almost 60% of the workforce. And millennials have you know, very different incentives and things that excite them versus previous generations. And so the, the quality of the work environment, environment, the opportunity to learn new skills, et cetera, are all things that millennials weight higher than previous generations and that OEMs are going to have to think about in their employee value propositions when they try to recruit this talent. The other thing, however, is that what we see is a lot more partnerships and ecosystems forming across industries, whereas before some OEMs may have had the mentality of it must be built here. Uh, we see that constraint that OEMs have put on themselves being relaxed across several industries and uh, partnerships forming. So where you don't have the talent in-house, you partner with companies that have that talent and companies that have done this really well typically have several partners, and they do this in a thoughtful way where, where they have capability gaps that there's a talent base out there for that they may not have in their organization, they partner for the talent. There may be areas where they do want to own the IP or the technology in-house because it's a you know, critical control point, as Asatosh pointed out, or... Um, or a differentiated technology that they want to develop. And in those cases, uh, attracting talent to their organizations uh, will be required. But I think this notion of partnerships is one that OEMs are going to start to embrace more and more over time, or will need to start embracing more and more over time in order to be first to market 
with these new technologies and use cases. Well, the insights from this research project go on, and they go much deeper than this, too. And the definitive final version of this report will soon be available on AEM.org slash think, also at McKinsey.com. For anyone who's interested in diving deeper and giving that a read, we'll put a direct link to the report in the show description as well. Kevin Lakowski and Asatosh Padi, senior partners at the international consulting firm McKinsey & Company, thank you so much for all your work on this project and your team's phenomenal work as well. And thanks so much for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're interested in learning more about AEM's research project with McKinsey & Company, you really ought to mark your calendar for May 8th. AEM will be hosting one of its Thinking Forward events in Chicago, and Kevin will be there presenting some more of McKinsey's findings to the attendees there. We'll be at the M-Hub Innovation Center, and we'll also explore topics including makerspaces, innovation, and attracting a younger, more tech-savvy workforce to your company. Visit aem.org think to learn more and to sign up for this free event. This is just one of seven Thinking Forward events that AEM is hosting this year. Joining me now to talk in greater depth about AEM's efforts to get members engaged with new and emerging trends and technologies is AEM President Dennis Slater. Dennis, thanks for joining us on the AEM Thinking Forward podcast. Well, it's good to be here today. So everything that we've been doing with the Thinking Forward initiative, the regional Thinking Forward events, the research with McKinsey, this podcast even, it ties back to an imperative that the board handed down. What role did they envision for AEM in helping members thrive in a changing marketplace? Yeah, it actually happened two, three years ago. So we sat down for strategic planning. We sat there and said, what are those big initiatives? What have to be done? And, and in the end, a reoccurring theme happened with thought leadership. So it kind of took them out of our usual box of advocacy and trade shows and statistics and said, thought leadership is something bigger. It covers a lot more ground. And what they worried about was, the business disruptions that will affect them will come from outside the industry, and we better start looking at this. So why now? What prompted the board to take a look at the current state of the industry and say, you know what? We need AEM to step in and take a bigger leadership role in helping us adapt to these changes. I think the board has a certain recognition out there that technology has changed so much, and the rapid pace of technology has changed so much, so you just can't go about your daily business of producing good products. They had to look out there and say, what is the landscape in the economy? How does technology change things? And I think they were foresighted enough to say, it's time to get out there and talk about this issue. When we hosted the consultants from McKinsey last summer to interview board members for the research that they were doing, I was really impressed by how many of the board members were not just willing to participate, they were super excited and enthusiastic about it too. What do you hear from our members about the value that they find in having an organization like McKinsey come in and take a look at these industry-wide technology questions. Yeah, I think so often as a leader, you stand alone in trying to think about how to run your business. And I think the opportunity to get outside research, to talk with their peers about what's going on in their industry and what market forces are really affecting their business, I think they welcome the opportunity to get together, to brainstorm, to talk about best practices. And I think they really embrace that. Dennis, you've been involved with AEM and its predecessors since, I hope I'm not dating you too much, 1982. Uh, that's an incredible run in the industry. And in that time, you've seen the industry go through a lot of changes. What's different or unique about the current challenges that heavy equipment manufacturers face and the way that they're rising to meet them? Yeah, and it's not just those 35, 36 years. I think what's happened really is 
in the end is the pace of change, the pace of communications, the changes in technology. You know, what has happened in the last five years would blow your mind away versus the last 35. So I think right there, the biggest challenge is recognizing the fast pace of change and getting out there and addressing it. One thing that really impresses me about the Thinking Forward initiative, and I'm a little bit newer to AEM than you are, but is that there's this sort of all-for-one, one-for-all attitude behind this initiative. And when you boil it down, our members are each other's competition. They compete with each other for market share. And yet through AEM, they've focused this effort on finding collective solutions that better the industry as a whole. I don't think that you see that in a lot of other sectors uh, in manufacturing necessarily. What makes equipment manufacturers different? It's not so much that they're different. I think there's a recognition out there that they're better together than they are individually. That holds true for anything from advocacy to working on statistics to bringing customers together for trade shows. The idea of a common good is there. They recognize that they can better represent this industry and address issues out there. They'll be a better industry, they'll be more competitive as a company, and it'll be good for their business. I just think that it's a, a really impressive coalition, the way that it's been built throughout all these years. And of course, the best way for our members to engage with the Thinking Forward initiative is to send their staff members out to the regional events that we have throughout the year. We've got seven this year. We had eight last year. You've been a regular attendee at these yourself. Which one from the past year sticks out in your mind as being the most interesting? Yeah, it's interesting because it's not so much that any one stood out. It's the collective uh, knowledge I've gained from all of them. So we started this idea as just getting out there regionally and meeting our members, make it easier for us to see them. Them. And then as we did that, we said, let's not talk about AEM anymore. Let's talk about things that are out there that affect their business. And again, business disruption got out there, technology, innovation. So each of these offers a little different piece of that. So the idea of the evolution from a simple meeting regionally to say hi to your members to really giving some good content to help them do their business, that's kind of been the secret sauce for the success here. Well, I'm real fired up for the uh, lineup of events that we've got here in 2018 too. What do you want our members to know about what AEM is doing to support them? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing I think that separates us from so many groups is the fact that although we offer a core set of services to help them, we're always looking at a couple of things. One, to get better out there, to never really settle for where we are today and always improve. But the other side is to challenge ourselves to look at the changes in business, the changes in technology, and try to find a way as an association to help them with their business. Well, Dennis Slater, the president of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, thanks so much for taking the time, and thanks for joining us here on the AEM Thinking Forward well, podcast. Thanks for the chance to be here today. As for this year's Thinking Forward events, I already mentioned the one May 8th in Chicago. There's also a really cool one June 5th in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Creating a Culture of Innovation is the title of that event, and it's at the 3M Innovation Center, appropriately enough. Then later in the year, we're hitting both coasts, San Francisco on August 23rd, Charlotte on November 6th. We'll hit Pella, Iowa, and Purdue University in there as well. Definitely something for everyone in our Thinking Forward lineup for the year, but you've got to be on the guest list to get in, and spaces are limited, so head over to aem.org think to learn more and sign up for free. Also a great way to stay at the forefront of evolving technology in the industry is to follow AEM on LinkedIn. Just search up the Association of Equipment Manufacturers and follow us to see the new articles and events that we put out there. And hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, why not take a moment to open up your podcasting app right now and subscribe to our updates. We do this podcast monthly, and I would absolutely hate for you to miss the next edition when it comes out. 
So subscribe through your podcast app. Leave some comments if you've got a reaction to anything that you heard here. Or if you feel like reaching out direct, shoot me an email at podcast at aem.org. The AEM Thinking Forward podcast is brought to you by the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Little Glass Men does the music. And for AEM, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.